Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks so much for joining us here for episode 619 with Ann Grady. If you'd like an extra dose of resilience and positivity right now, maybe you need it a whole lot because of pandemic, because of politics, because of just all the stuff going on. Ann has got some pro tips. She's real good, which is why she's coming back for her second visit on the show. So you'll learn, one, what to do when negativity hijacks your brain. Two, the simple trick to making each day more enjoyable. And three, the foundational skills of resilient people. So if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items we've referenced, please visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP619. I've had a couple questions about the transcripts. They are found in a, a thin gray rectangular bar you click in order to expand on each episode's post, which has an image of the guest and the links. So it's easy to overlook, but I don't want to dominate the whole page. So you click it to expand it. And that's a story with the transcripts. And what's also cool is all of the transcripts are in text, right? So you can search across all of them with that little magnifying glass at awesomeatyourjob.com. So it's a really handy resource for getting just what you need right when you need it, if the latest episode isn't exactly what you need. But I think you're going to love what Anne has to say. So here's Anne's story. Anne Grady is an internationally recognized speaker and author who shares humor, humility, refreshing honesty, and practical strategies that could be applied both personally and professionally to improve relationships, navigate change, and triumph over adversity. Anne is a two-time TEDx speaker, and her work has been featured in Harvard Business Review, Entrepreneur and Inc. magazines, CNN, ESPN, and Fox Business. With a master's degree in organizational communication and more than 20 years of experience working side-by-side with industry gurus, political and educational leaders, and CEOs, Anne addresses audiences worldwide on topics including change management, resilience, leadership, communication, and emotional intelligence. Big thanks to Anne for sharing her wisdom with us, and big thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. One sponsor to check out is LinkedIn Jobs. Did you know that you can post a job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome? And with a fresh year, perhaps you're like many small business owners looking for some fresh insight and talent to make 2024 extra amazing. Well, LinkedIn Jobs has created tremendous tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and free. I love how they make it so easy with their promotion and selection tools. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. No, no, no. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Here's some fun facts. 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome. That's linkedin.com slash B-E-A-W-E-S-O-M-E, as in you are being awesome, be awesome, to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Now, here's Anne. Anne, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Hey, Pete. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I'm excited to chat once again. And, and I think you've got some, some very critical wisdom to share. Talking resilience, tell us, wh- what are you doing to stay resilient these days? Oh my gosh. Well, I have been tested. I think we have all been tested. And so I've been putting into practice all these great strategies I teach and you know, just like all of us, I'm human. So some days work better than others. And uh, it's just putting one foot in front of the other. You know, resilience is a practice. It's a muscle. 
something you have to work at. It's, it's not one of those things you're either resilient or not. So I can't wait to share with you some of the strategies I've been using and the things I talk about in my new book and ways that you can just kind of navigate this difficult time a little bit easier. Beautiful. Thank you. Well, and, and even when at last <laughs> the pandemic is behind us, yeah. we'll still need these for, for the next challenge. So yep. maybe you could open us up. So it's so a book's called Mind Over Moment. What's behind that title? So our life is this collection of moments. That's really all it is. And we're so caught up. We're busy being busy. And, you know, I feel like the Girl Scouts are going to start handing out a busy badge at some point. Mm -hmm. We've just gotten really busy and we're reacting through life. And we kind of just, you know, instead of living the life that we intentionally want, we're simply trying to survive the one that we have. And there are ways that we can change that, that we can get out of reactivity, but it's being, it's using this idea of mindfulness to be deliberate about where you're investing your time, your energy, your attention from a mindset perspective, from a skill set perspective, and then being able to reset to really take back control of your life. Otherwise, each day just becomes the same day. And we kind of just end up on this hamster wheel and land somewhere and draw bullseye around ourselves and go, well, I guess this is where I was supposed to be instead of really crafting the life that we want. Okay. Well, well boy, there's so much to dig in there. So dig away. And a great distinction in terms of enduring the life that we are, are in, as opposed to really kind of designing and going after that. So, so yeah, let's talk about some mindset things. How would you orient us in terms of what is the optimal mindset to have to be resilient AF, as your t-shirt says, which keeps cracking me up. <laughs> <laughs> I had these made. We're actually going to start selling That's these great. at some point. <laughs> but your mindset is literally the story you tell yourself, right? It's the story you tell yourself about what's going on in your life. About It, it impacts how you see yourself, how you view the world. And so I guess where I would start with mindset is understanding your brain. And without going mm -hmm. too deep into neurology, our brain is this amazing three-pound cauliflower-like blob sitting on top of our shoulders, but it's actually working against us. And so if, if we are left to our own devices, if we just let our brain operate as it is, we're really focused on looking for everything that's wrong instead of figuring out what's mm -hmm. right. We have a negativity bias. And this served us well as we've evolved as a species because, you know, our brain's job is not to make us happy or keep us content. Our brain's only job is to keep us safe. And in order to do that, it is really keen on the negative around us because the positive stuff's not going to kill us. So your brain just easily kind of lets go of all these positive moments that you have in your life. And it really hones in on the negative experiences. And so we have to offset mother nature. And the thing that's happening right now is that our brain views uncertainty as a threat. Our brain doesn't like an outcome. It doesn't know it. It actually mm -hmm. would rather have an outcome. It hates than one it doesn't know. And so because of this negativity bias, we keep going to worst case scenarios right. and we tell ourselves these stories in our head and that actually shapes our neurochemistry. So when we say things, even if they're true, like I'm so stressed, I'm so tired, this is crazy, this is nuts, what are we going to do? This is horrible. Your brain actually responds to protect you and it starts pumping you with cortisol and adrenaline and noradrenaline and norepinephrine. And all of those chemicals are there to help you fight, freeze, or run away, but they're not doing anything to help you live purposefully 
or to help you find peace. We got to protect our peace. It's one of those things where my son is severely mentally ill and autistic. We've talked before, and I think I told you about he tried to kill me when he was three years old with a pair of scissors. And by four, he was on his first antipsychotic. By seven, he was hospitalized in his first inpatient psychiatric unit. When he was 10, he was hospitalized again. And I got diagnosed with a tumor in my salivary gland that left me with facial paralysis. And that resulted in a scratched cornea, which required eye surgery before I started six weeks of radiation, but not before I fell down a flight of stairs, breaking my foot in four places. So I didn't learn this stuff. I mean, I I say I didn't learn it in a textbook. I had to live it first. And then I wanted to understand how it worked. And I learned that there were things that I was doing along the way that were supporting my resilience, but there were things that were sabotaging it. And if you are focused on deliberately cultivating the right thoughts, the right belief systems, the right mindset, you change your entire life. Our thoughts are not facts. We take them as facts, but they're not. All right. Well, well, let's dig in. So, so we got this negativity bias going on, and boy, Ed, you've you figured out how to overcome that with a, a host of challenges. Uh, again, wow! I'm so glad you're here and well. Thank you. So, how do we go about overcoming reprogramming, dealing with that? Well, it starts with the story you're telling yourself, right? So, I found myself. People would say, "How are you?" and I'd be like, mm-hmm. "Oh my god, I'm so busy. I don't have time. I'm overwhelmed. I'm stressed." And while those things may have been true, my neurochemistry was flooding me with all of these neurochemicals to help protect me, but it actually was increasing inflammation and making it difficult to sleep and impacting my mood and my ability to make decisions and solve problems. So you really start by being deliberate about the story you tell yourself, which is stuff's not ideal, but there are still good things happening if you look for them. And that's really the key. People who are resilient, who practice resilience, proactively cultivate positive emotions. Mm -hmm. They use their brain to search for the good to help offset the bad. And that doesn't mean that you ignore the bad stuff, right? Like I think a lot of people think, well, what do you want me to do? Wear rose colored glasses and pretend that everything is peachy keen. And that's not what I'm advocating. In fact, while it seems counterintuitive, you actually have to feel the yucky stuff when Mm -hmm. we try to push it away or get rid of those uncomfortable emotions and we suppress them or numb them, we actually increase the intensity and the duration of them. So it's not to say that you should ignore the uncomfortable negative emotions, but you have to proactively search for the positive ones. Okay. So well, let's, let's hear those two parts then in, in terms of, okay, so, so pushing away, ignoring, suppressing, repressing the unpleasant stuff is, is the wrong move. What is the right response for, I'm anxious, I'm angry, I'm depressed. This thing ticked me off. Yeah, well, it's to acknowledge it and give yourself grace, right? We're human. And I think we've grown up in this, the last decade has been this positive psychology cyclone. And what we don't realize is we're not supposed to be happy all the time right? Those those moments happen in little blips, but our brain has developed a negativity bias for a reason. It's meant to protect us from everything that's going on. And so if we're going to overcome it, well, first of all, we can't overcome it. It just is what it is. And so 
you know, when you're feeling anxious, it's going, crap, I feel anxious right now and identifying where you feel it. So my stomach feels tight. My shoulders feel tense. My palms are sweaty. My heart is racing. What that does simply by naming it and identifying where you feel it, it's called tracking. It actually resets your nervous system and gets you out of the sympathetic fight or flight and back into the parasympathetic rest and digest. So simply acknowledging the emotion and yeah, I feel crappy right now. And this is what I'm experiencing. And it's okay to feel that way, you know, because feelings are fleeting. It will shift and change, but when we fight it or try to numb it with unhealthy vices, we just serve to aggravate it and bring it to the forefront even more. It's Mm -hmm. like me telling you, like, don't think of pizza or chocolate cake, right? When you're going on a diet, we, we pay attention to what's top of mind. It's called selective attention. It's like if I said, think of an animal, but whatever you think of, don't think of pink elephants. Well, Mm -hmm. that's what you're going to think of, right? So we have to start acknowledging the stuff that doesn't feel so great, but then you have to be deliberate about what you're searching for. Okay. So then, so we, we talk about the unpleasant emotions and how to work with that. And so then to be conscientious about what you're searching for, Mm -hmm. how do we amp up to find more and I guess, linger or dwell more into the the pleasant experiences. I used to think this was so touchy, fluffy, feely. I, I always, when I thought of resilience, I thought of like finding your Zen and eating tofu and sitting in a full lotus and drinking green tea. And it seemed very froofy and fluffy to me until I dug into the research. Over 11,000 studies have proven that gratitude is the most direct path to well-being and happiness. And I know when I was going through my facial paralysis and stuff with my son, I, my natural inclination was, what do I have to be grateful for right now? But there are always things to be grateful for. And the simple act of looking, you don't even have to find anything. The simple act of looking releases serotonin and dopamine, the feel-good neurochemicals and antidepressants. The simple act of looking for something to be grateful for decreases the stress hormone cortisol by 23%. And because we tend to scan the environment and find what we look for, whether it's looking for, like yesterday, I had a crappy day. It was just one of those days where every light turned red, things were not going well. And I I have a sign on my bathroom mirror that says, what do you want to find today? What do you want to see today? And I mean, it's not like a fancy sign. It's written in blue Sharpie marker. But I wanted to find reasons to be grateful. And so, you know, I drove to the grocery store and a car was leaving one of the spots right up front as I was going away. And what most of us do is we just go, okay, that's cool. But in order to rewire our brain, there's something called experience-dependent neuroplasticity. And basically what it means is the more you think and behave a certain way, the easier it is to think and behave that way. So the more often you're anxious and cranky, the easier it is to stay there. And so if you think of like a computer, right, you, d- you download a program, but you have to install it. And so having the experience is downloading it, but to install it, you have to actually sit in it. It's called savoring. And it means you have to step outside of the experience and observe it and appreciate it for 15 to 20 seconds. And you can literally rewire the neural structure and function of your brain when you get in the habit of doing that. And, and so what ends up happening, like when was the last time you laid in bed at night and you're ruminating about your day and you're thinking about the good things that happened, right? We default to the negative. You get a performance review 
you're told you do nine things exceptionally well. You have one opportunity for growth and you're laying in bed at night, marinating and stewing in that conversation. You're not thinking of the nine things you did exceptionally well. You're stewing over that one negative thing. And so it's not to say you ignore that. Is there truth in it? Can you learn from it? Is there something you can do productively with that feedback? But then it's sitting in those nine things that we typically dismiss and rush past or that compliment that you get that you just brush off instead of really sitting in that and and feeling it physically, because that is what changes your brain. Well, and so let's talk about that, how that zooming right into doing some savoring. So you mentioned savoring last time. I've been thinking about a lot about it. So let's, let's dig in some more. So you you get that great parking spot and uh, you say, instead of just saying, oh, that's cool. Walk us through the depths of, of savoring and depth. What's happening in your brain? How are you savoring that well? So what I did when I pulled into the parking spot is I just took three deep breaths and most of us don't breathe correctly. I can get into breathing more a little bit later as we talk about other things, but I took three really deep diaphragmatic breaths. And what that does is it allows enough oxygen to get into your brain and it resets your nervous system. And I just took a second and said, I'm really excited. I found this cool spot up front. It's rockstar parking. This is going to be a good trip to the store. I'm going to find other good stuff. And it was so funny because I I did, I went to the store looking for good experiences and a grocery store at 5 PM, even in a global pandemic Mm -hmm. is a crazy, it's like full contact sport. Right. But I, I was standing in one of the aisles and I could not find the spice I was looking for. And there was a mom and a daughter walking by and I'm like, Hey, can I borrow you guys for a second? And they looked at me like I was a crazy person, which I probably am. But I, I said, you know, my eyes, I've been staring at this spice aisle for five minutes and I can't find what I'm looking for. I'll give you a bonus point if you can find this. And so they were like, Ooh, a bonus point. Now, I'm giving them nothing. Right. But they both found what I was looking for in a split second. And then we all had a really good laugh. And that single moment could be easily dismissed. But instead, as I was walking down the rest of the aisle, I thought that felt really good. They had a laugh. I had a laugh. Yeah. I found what I was looking for. It didn't cost any money. They weren't annoyed by it. It was, it was a good interaction. And I actually left the store feeling better than when I got there. Yeah. And people can be starved for those good interactions yeah. in the pandemic in terms of like, like, well, one, they might've just fled from you. Ah, too close. Ah, crazy. Danger, toxin. I had a mask. Oh, good, good. Well, so there's that, that they could be particularly starved for that experience there. It's funny you mentioned that because I teach resilience, right? And so I was doing a session today for a group of leaders at a high tech company And I shared that experience. And one of the guys said, you know, it's interesting you say that because yesterday I was at the grocery store and the exact same thing happened. I couldn't find something. And this woman was standing there and I asked her to help me and she found it. And this is the gentleman talking. He said, you know, I told her you're awesome. And she started to cry. And she Mm. said, that's the first time anyone has told me I'm awesome all year long. You just made my day. And I do think we're starved. And I, you know, I don't have any data to support this, but I think the mask thing is a big deal because we're missing out on so much human connection and social distance really is physical distance. We still need social connection, Mm -hmm. but we're starved for positive moments right now. And if the single most momentary increase in positive emotions comes from doing something nice for someone else. And if somebody else witnesses that they're more likely to do something nice for someone else. Yeah, well, that, that's that's very beautiful to 
think about, I don't know, the, that, that ripple effect mm-hmm. and uh, the, the good vibes to, to put forth in the world there. So finding the gratitude, expressing the gratitude, and that's big in terms of for the, for the parking space and then how you end up discovering more cool moments uh, along the way there. So that's sort of the mindset part. Talk to us about the skill set. What, what are the top skills that folks need to adopt to become more resilient and how do we get them? Well, I think of the mindset as the toolbox, right? It's the foundation, but you've got to fill it. And so the skills are your tools. And what we just talked about is a big one, proactively cultivating positive emotions, whether it's humor, a smile, one that involves the muscles around your eyes, actually calms your nervous system, cools your heart, slows respiration, true genuine laughter, increases pain tolerance, lowers blood pressure, stimulates dopamine and serotonin production, even makes you appear more attractive. So anything that you can do to proactively cultivate good emotions. So for example, I have watched every Netflix stand-up comedian that I could find. Like, I think I've exhausted them all and I'm watching them all again, you know, and it, and it's because your brain doesn't know the difference between like, they've done studies with Botox where they force a smile and your brain doesn't know the difference between a real smile or a forced smile. It just recognizes the facial movement. And so that literally shifts your, your brain when you experience laughter, it, it is not only good for your brain, it's really physiologically good for your body. So that's a huge one. Self-care. This morning I was teaching a session and I said, think of the dirtiest word you can imagine. Mm -hmm. Think of the dirtiest word you can imagine. And then I asked, how many of you thought of self-care, right? We think of it as this selfish luxury, but it's really a skill. Self-care is nothing more than a skill and it doesn't have to be taking a spa day, right? It can be sipping that first cup of coffee and just really appreciating it. It can be lighting a candle while you do your taxes. It can be stepping outside and just taking a five minute walk or snuggling your pets. Social connection is another one. And so many of us have heard of this chemical called oxytocin, right? It's the the bonding agent so I guess you could call it, it's the, it's called the cuddle hormone. And it's basically what bonds parents and children, mother and child, as soon as the child is born, but it's actually a stress hormone. And so when we are feeling stressed, our body produces oxytocin because it's craving connection. We are tribal by nature. We're social creatures. We survive together better than we do individually. And in a time when we have been so focused on socially distancing ourselves with that has come social disconnection Mm -hmm. and it's huge. Loneliness kills more people every year than smoking, obesity, and high blood pressure. And Mm -hmm. you can be in a room full of people and still be lonely, right? So you could be in the middle of Times Square on a, you know, back when it used to be filled up and be lonely. So social connection is, is huge. Self-care, gratitude, positive emotions, all of those seem like they're so easy that it's, I mean, they're so simple that it's easy to to dismiss them and you don't have to tackle all of them at once. So for example, look, I'm not miss rose colored glasses. My husband will tell you I'm the most pessimistic motivational speaker he's ever Mm. met. Like I am not out high five and sunbeams. There are not doves released. When I walk into a room, I was diagnosed with clinical depression at 19. So my natural 
optimism bias is very, very low. I have to really work hard at it. For some people, it comes more naturally. For me, I have to really, really work hard at it. And exercise for me is not something I look forward to. It's not something I necessarily enjoy, but it rivals antidepressants and no judgment. Mm -hmm. I'm on everything but roller skates, right? But Mm -hmm. exercise literally changes the structure and function of your brain. It, It repairs neurons damaged by stress. It increases the density of gray matter. And that's the part of your brain that's responsible for attention and emotional regulation. So if you've noticed since this pandemic started that you've had a harder time focusing or you're more irritable or easily agitated, right? There are specific things like sleep and exercise and you know, yoga is great because it combines meditation, breathing, and exercise. There are things you can do to repair your brain but sometimes we just default to what's easiest and it's easier to binge on Tiger King for six hours than it is to focus on taking a walk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a nice lineup there. And so then all these are skills insofar as it's not a matter of they, them coming naturally, you're exerting some effort, you're, you're working on them and they become yeah. more natural over time. And so, so excellent. And then how about the reset part of things? So the reset is kind of twofold. One, it is resetting your priorities, right? So resetting your priorities and your perspective. I think what's been most fascinating as I've been working with a lot of my corporate clients is, you know, that working from home is no longer working from home. It's living at work. Mm, Yeah. And we are constantly connected. And because people know we're not anywhere else, when we don't respond for a couple of hours, it, it like creates this sense of urgency. And your eulogy and your resume shouldn't be the same document. As someone who is very goal-oriented, achievement-driven, I own my own business, I've had to really work hard at remembering that it's not just about prioritizing your schedule. It's about scheduling your priorities. You know, Uh if you were to track your time for a week, is it reflective of what you say is most important to you? Or are you just getting carried away being busy? So, you know, I told you swimming for me is my exercise. It's my self-care. And I swim in a pool and there's this line painted on the bottom of the pool. So I go straight. But if you've ever tried to swim in an ocean, then, you know, swimming in a straight line is like impossible, right? You're carried away by the tide. You're carried away by the current. So, You're taught if you're an open water swimmer, aim for an immovable object, right? Like a buoy or a dock or a lighthouse. And so this idea of, you know, your lighthouse, what is your lighthouse? Because I feel like life is kind of like the ocean. There are times when the seas are calm and it's beautiful and the birds are chirping and sun is shining. And then there are times that we're in right now, like a global pandemic and it's a torrential storm and we're getting sucked under. And if when we rise back up to take a breath, we don't have something to look toward, we just kind of swim aimlessly. So one of the things to reset is really get clear on what your most important priorities are. And is that reflected in your calendar? The other thing is, what are you swimming toward? And you can have big lighthouses, like my biggest lighthouse is mental health advocacy, but I have little lighthouses like pizza night right? So I'm doing sober October. I have a lighthouse on November 1st. I get to enjoy a cocktail, right? Like these part of the challenge, I think with the the pandemic is that we don't have a lot to look forward to because we don't know 
what's going to happen. Like my husband and I, for the longest time, our lighthouse has been getting an RV mm-hmm. and I, I'm not a camper. I'm a glamper. So we wanted to get a travel trailer, right? And we've been putting it off and putting it off and waiting till the kids graduate and waiting to the right time. And we finally said, you know what? There's never going to be a time when every duck is in a row and everything is in alignment. We just did it. We bought a travel trailer and my God, it's been so fun just to start having these little lighthouse adventures along the way. So that's that part of it. The other part is resetting your nervous system because we can like consciously, physically get out of fight or flight and that cortisol induced stress state. And we can literally put ourselves back into a relaxed place where we're able to re-engage the logical part of our brain and, and think creatively. It's, it's a skill, but it's doable. Ooh, so much good stuff here. Well, well, and tell me anything else you want to make sure to mention before we shift gears and hear about some of your favorite things. Well, I think for me, the resetting your nervous system is something that we take for granted that we can do. And I just love that there are a few techniques that you can use. One of them is breathing. And it sounds so simple, right? But most of you are probably thinking, okay, Anne, I can breathe. Like I'm sitting here. Mm -hmm. What's the magic with this? But we breathe shallowly. So if you put one hand on your chest and one hand on your stomach, right? And you just breathe normally, there's a high likelihood that your chest is moving more than your stomach. Like take a second and do it for you. What's moving more, your chest or your stomach? Well, I kind of knew what you were going to go for. (laughs) I think I'm cheating. (laughs) Darn it, Pete, messing this up for me. No, (laughs) when we're stressed, we, we take shallow breaths. So, you know, if you're an elite athlete or an opera singer of which I am neither, you're trained in a technique called diaphragmatic breathing. And it's, kind of counter to what you would think. When you inhale, you imagine that there's a balloon in your stomach and you fill it with air. So on the inhale, you create this giant Buddha belly. The exhale is actually the part of the breath that puts you into the parasympathetic nervous system, the part that calms your brain. So the exhale should be a little bit longer. So you view the inhale as filling up your belly with air But the exhale, imagine there's a weight on the end of it that just kind of takes your exhale even lower. And so three deep diaphragmatic breaths resets your nervous system. A deeply relaxed person takes seven breaths a minute. And so, you know, people talk about meditation. And again, for me, it was like playing whack-a-mole with my thoughts. I would sit there and try to breathe and go, oh, crap, I forgot to call my mom or, oh, what am I going to make for dinner until I learned it's working right? So meditation is focusing on your breath, but the goal is not peace or Zen. The goal is catching your mind wandering and bringing it back to your breath. You're training your brain to direct your attention where you want it to go so that you're less likely to hit the panic button. You're, you're learning to observe your thoughts and your emotions without getting carried away by them. So breathing is something that is super understated. It's very, very important. And even three of those deep breaths. I started wearing my daughter's Apple watch because it has a reminder to breathe and, and just take some time out once an hour to take a few deep breaths. It's really, really powerful. All right. Lovely. Well, now can you share with us a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? My first was from my grandmother. It's actually a Yiddish proverb. And she 
Well, she always used to say, you know, Annie, if, if enough people tell you you're tired, it's time to lay down. Like if enough <laughs> people are giving you the same advice. But my favorite was when she used to say, Annie, if you act like an ass, don't be surprised if people try to ride you. No. So that's probably my all time favorite quote. But I guess the second closest to that would be Ray Wiley Hubbard. Uh, he's a Texas singer songwriter. And he's got a lyric in one of his songs. And he says, the days that I keep my gratitude higher than my expectations, well, I have really good days. And so what I have found is that when we're unhappy, it's usually because our expectations are out of alignment with reality. Mm -hmm. And you can't always control what's in reality, but you can control your expectations. So the more time you spend being grateful and the less time you spend being resentful, or disappointed, the easier it is to find the good stuff. And how about a favorite study or experiment or bit of research? So one that I just came across that I really liked was this study done by University of London. So they took these participants and divided them into two groups. And they basically said to one group, it's a computer program. And every time you click on a rock and a snake is under it, you're going to get a mild electrical shock. They tell the other group, you're going to get a mild electrical shock, but it's not every time the snake is under the rock. It's just going to be intermittent. And what was phenomenal is that the group that knew that they were going to get shocked every time there was a snake under their rock had less anxiety than hmm. the people who knew it would be intermittent because our brain is so against uncertainty. It hates it. So it constantly goes to the default worst case scenario. There are so many studies. Another one that I find fascinating and Kelly McGonigal writes about this in her book, The Upside of Stress. And she's got a great Ted talk called Make Stress Your Friend. And it, they tracked 30,000 Americans over the course of eight years. And they, they start by asking them these two questions. The first is what level of stress have you had in the past 12 months, low, medium, or high? And the second question is, do you think stress is bad for you, right? So they ask 30,000 people this question. They track them over eight years. They use death records and mortality rates as a way to track progress. And they find that for people who had high levels of stress in the previous 12 months, there's a 43% increased risk of dying prematurely. But it was only for the people who thought stress was bad for them. You know, the people who thought, you know, stress is just nothing more than your body's physiological response. Increased heartbeat, well, that's just your brain needing more oxygen. Tension in your shoulders or your stomach, that's just your body putting on armor to protect you from what's ahead. The people who did not believe stress was bad for them, but had high levels of stress, had a 0% increased risk of dying prematurely. It was the lowest rate of anyone in the study. They So they basically found, they look at these cardiac monitors and they hook people up to them and they find that for people who are experiencing high levels of stress and think it's bad for them, their arteries constrict. So they tighten up, they limit blood flow to the heart and to the brain. But people who have stress and believe it's just your body, which is you stress, it's just activation of your sympathetic nervous system, nothing more, nothing less. They had zero constriction. They had the same cardiac profile as people who experience joy and courage. And then they took it a step further. They looked at housekeeping staff at hotels and they asked these housekeepers, do you exercise? So they take a group of housekeepers that don't exercise and they divide them into two groups. One group, they don't tell them anything. The other group, they say, 
Did you know that every time you change a sheet, you burn this many calories? Every time you clean a window, you burn this many calories. Every time you flip a mattress, you burn this many calories. Every time you vacuum, right? So the people that they didn't say anything to, the housekeepers that just kept business as normal, didn't lose any weight. The people who were told that what they were doing as part of their job was exercise, even though they changed no other habits, lost weight. Hmm. Like our belief system is so powerful that it drives our neurochemistry. And the beauty of this is that beliefs can be changed. Beautiful. That's great. And if folks want to learn more, get in touch, where would you point them? Well, you can always go to angradygroup.com, and with an E. You can certainly text the word strength to the number 22454. And I'm sure you'll probably post that in your show notes, but it's 22454, text the word strength, and you can get some free resources, a resilient self-assessment, a self-care sheet, a poem that I wrote a couple years ago that could not be more fitting than it is right now. But we also have a weekly resilience reset tip tool or strategy to kind of help you just reset. And so you can go to my website to sign up for that. You can also learn more about my books on the website. And like I said, a portion of all my book proceeds go to the National Alliance on Mental Illness here in Central Texas. I live in Austin. And do you have a final challenge or call to action for folks looking to be awesome at their jobs? (laughs) So we think that we separate like work and life, you know, like I, I want this balance. And I would say that there's no balance right now. It is about taking care of you so that you can be the best version of yourself to perform well at work. And you cannot do that if you're not well. So it would be a self-care challenge every day, schedule 10 minutes on your calendar to do something kind for yourself. It could be just doodling on a piece of paper or drawing. It could be snuggling your pet or your kids. It could be doing a puzzle. It doesn't matter what it is as long as it brings you joy. And most of us are constantly thinking about how do I alleviate stress? And I would challenge you to reframe it. Instead of how do I stop stress, it's how do I find joy? What are some things I can do throughout my day? What can I insert throughout my day to create joy? Because that is what will change your brain and build your resilience muscle. And it is just that. It's a muscle. And this has been a treat. I wish you much luck in all of your your moments. Thank you. Yeah, life is made up of moments. It's just a collection. And so we got to make those moments count. You know, I really appreciated that, that such a simple suggestion from Anne, the three deep breaths. And I've really been doing that. And it, it's easy to do and it's easy not to do. And I'm just a huge fan. So I recommend those little practices can make a world of difference. It almost feels a little bit, I don't know, elementary or juvenile. It's something that my toddler might pick up from Daniel the Tiger's Neighborhood show, which which I think is very valuable for teaching emotional skills to youngsters. But anywho, it's almost like uh, easy to dismiss that advice, I think, because it, it might feel too elementary or too childish. But a suggestion need not be complicated or secretive or require a tricky, cool, advanced app or whatever to be helpful. It's simple. It's powerful. I recommend it. Thanks for the tip, Anne. Again, the show notes, the transcript, and the links to items we've referenced are at awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP619. If you haven't already, I hope you'll push subscribe to catch our next guest, Steve Glaveski. He's got some perspective on how to be time rich instead of time poor. Hope to catch you there. 
Peace. Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation. You can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers, subscribe to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice. If you'd like some extra help figuring out podcasts and how subscriptions work, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash subscribe for guidance. Hope to catch you on the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job.